My name is Marcel Hall, and with my wife Karina, we've now been here a little over seven years and been able and fortunate to serve along you guys to be able to see God do some amazing things and still and want to do some amazing things here in North Orange County. And so we started a series several weeks ago called Becoming because we've looked at what it means to belong to God. So therefore, if we know who we belong to, then we will believe God's plans and purposes for our lives, and then we can become who he has created us to be. And so we've talked and looked and seen how God has created us in his image. However, sin gets in the way, tarnishes our image. But in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit is transforming us back into the image of God. And since Jesus is the image of God, what does that ultimately mean? Is that God is making us godly, meaning like him, meaning in his image. And so if you're a child of God today, you are on a process. You are in the middle of a process of being transformed into the image and likeness and character of Christ. And that is incredible because we're not becoming like some popular celebrity. We're not becoming some fairy tale figure. We're becoming like the creator of the universe. And we're not becoming him. It's not our status and position or authority over all creation. No, we're becoming like him in his likeness and image. And to God be the glory for that. And so we've looked at a number of things over the last several weeks here on what it means to become like Christ. And it means to become holy. It means to become an overcomer, to become loving, to become a servant of Christ. And so we've seen all these laid out in the passage, kind of the theme passage for our time in Romans 8, 29, where it says that God foreknew, he also, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Here we go. Are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so we're going to continue today. However, we're going to look at something different, and we're going to talk about what prevents us from becoming what God has created us to be. What prevents us from actually becoming what God has created us to be. So in fact, let's do this. Let's take several minutes in threes and fours and the people in your row sitting next to you. I want you to answer that question. What are some things that you believe can stop us from becoming godly, becoming like God? So go ahead in your groups right now. And, and, and if you're online, go ahead and write in the chat. What do you believe are some things that can stop us from becoming like God? All right, let's go ahead and have uh, several people share. What are some things maybe either you came up with or the uh, people you were talking with that they came up with? So let's go ahead and uh, share. Yes. Okay, laziness and commitment. That can prevent us from becoming. Okay, who, who is that right there? All right, go ahead. A lack of humility. Okay, all right, good, good. There you go. You said parenthood. Parenthood can be, okay, I get you. I understand what you're saying. All right, there you go. All right, yes. 
Lack of discipline or emotions can prevent us. Okay, yes, sir. Preoccupied with the business of life, all these things that are going on. Okay, yes. Social media can prevent us. Okay, yes, and a lot of parents are saying, yes, that prevents my kid from doing their homework. Okay, all right, in the back. Yes, Carrie. Selfishness, yes, all right, yes, sir. Not being surrounded by godly people. Okay, all right, any, any others there? I thought I saw him, yes. Okay, all right, what I heard is an unwillingness to change. As we spend time with God, we see some things that need to change, and so therefore there might be this unwillingness to, to change it. Okay, all right, good. Good stuff there. I agree with every single one of those, and we probably can mention some more. Here's what I would say is that at the core of everything that you just said is pride. Pride, and there he was mentioned, a lack of humility. What's a lack of humility? Really, it's more pride. And so pride and selfishness are at the core of every sin. We're going to talk about that as we look into scriptures. Let's go ahead. Let's pray. We haven't prayed. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your scriptures. God, I'm so excited about what you've been reminding me of. And God, I pray that your spirit will communicate your message. God, I love you. God, we love you. We want to become more like you. And Father, we pray that you will put to the side anything that is preventing us from hearing your message this morning. And God, we pray that we will come away with a greater conviction about what it means to become like you and how to stop the things that are preventing us from actually achieving that glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. So pride and you can argue selfishness, they kind of go hand in hand really at the core of every single sin. I went to dictionary.com, and here's the definition of pride. It says, a high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority, whether as cherished in the mind or as being displayed in conduct, etc. And so we see this inordinate, this high view of self, whether in the mind, but it, it also reveals itself in our actions. And so again, it's important that we're on the same page here about what it means when we talk about and refer to pride, because we can go to different areas. This is the form of pride in which we are discussing today. Uh, several years ago, my mentor and friend, Reese Nealon, we got together and he said, Marcel, um, what, what do you think is some of your strengths or weaknesses? Yeah, I, I shared. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go around and ask your friends, ask them, what do they think your strengths and weaknesses are? I said, okay. So I went and I asked some people. I asked some people that were around me, maybe not so close, but they were around me enough. So I went around, it's at least six, seven, I don't know, eight people or whatnot. And so they went and they shared some things. They shared three strengths that I had, then they shared a weakness. And every one of them, except for one, came back and said, pride is what we see as your greatest weakness. And I said, man, they're all wrong. Those people don't know me. Why'd I ask them, you know? And so I went, I was like, huh, there's something interesting about this. So I went back to Reese and I told him and he said, hey, so what do you want to do with this? I said, well, obviously I would like to grow in this. He said, if you want to grow in this, you're going to have to make some serious efforts to really grow in this. 
And I said, okay. He said, it can't just be one prayer. You're going to have to pray a little bit more about it. You're going to have to do some things. And I said, all right, let me go ahead and do this. So I decided I'm going to study out pride from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So the whole Bible, I'm going to look and see where pride is. And so I started and I thought, okay, this, you know, going through the whole Bible, maybe take a year or maybe a little less, depending on how fast I go. I end up going on a three-year journey studying out pride throughout the Bible. And as it weaved in and I saw it and I had this newfound understanding of pride and then I was starting to see my own pride and I was floored. I said, wow, wait a second. I said, God, pride is at the center of all sin. And that was the conclusion that I came to. And so I came up with my own little definition of pride. It's a little more simple than what I read to you from dictionary.com. And here's what it is. You can go ahead and write this. Pride, this is Marcel's definition, is a false sense of status or entitlement. A false sense of status or entitlement. And that really does go along with what is mentioned in the dictionary.com. And the key is a false sense of status and or entitlement. Status, a false sense, who you think you are. You have this false sense of who you are. An entitlement, a false sense of what you think you deserve. You guys understand what I'm saying here? And then as we think through this lens, you will see that at the core, at the center of all sin, there's pride. There's a false sense of status. There's a false sense of entitlement. Go with me over to, let's look at the first sin, Genesis chapter 3. Church, are you still with me? Let me warn you now, because we're getting into this topic, this is going to lead to a part two, all right? So there's so much here that I'm not going to be able to finish, and so bear with me. Next week, we'll go ahead and try to do a part two. Genesis chapter 3, we'll start off in verse 1, and we'll deal with the first sin. Now, again, I want us to look through this lens of pride as we see the, what has been called the fall of man. It says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, this is Satan's tricks, always want to just put a seed of doubt. Satan never makes us do anything, but he leaves some doubts in us. Or he tries to lead us to temptation. But he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, it's clear, you must not eat fruit. Fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. You know, Eve gets a bad rap and she should, but so does Adam. It says he was right there. What was he doing? That might be the second sin. Doing nothing. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Did you see any pride there? Any false sense of status or false sense of entitlement? If you just break down disobedience alone, there's pride in disobedience. They disobeyed. God said, don't do this. And what they do? Still did it. 
Because disobedience is what? There's a defiance. Hey, I know what I'm supposed to do or not supposed to do, so therefore I am choosing to what? Elevate myself, my needs, my desires over what I'm supposed to do. What is that? A false sense of status? Thinking that we're above or beyond or thinking we deserve whatever it is that we want or, de or desire at that moment in time. And so we see just that alone. Every form of disobedience, pride is right at the center of it. Saying, I'm more or I deserve. But even if we look here, they felt like they deserved to eat and to gain this, this almost equality with God. Not to be like him in the nature, but to have the wisdom of God. And so therefore, there's really an independence that they're searching for. Not a relationship and connection, but an independence that we see in Adam and Eve. And so we see this false sense of entitlement. And think of any other sins. If you think about murder, you think about lying, think about stealing, all have what? Pride at the very core of them. There's a false sense of who I am and a false sense of what I deserve. Think about the sin in your life. Trace it all the way back to the root. Don't deal with the symptoms. Trace it all the way back to the root. You at some point made a decision or thought to yourself, I deserve this. Therefore, or you know what? And you didn't say this consciously, but it was in your subconscious. I am, so therefore. And so we see that what's stopping, what's preventing you and me from becoming like Christ is our pride. You know, the famous Christian author, C.S. Lewis, he said this. He said, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. That's so true. And so, if you think about this, we can already see how pride becomes a barrier in us doing and following and becoming what God wants us to be. But you have to understand how God feels about pride. God hates pride. Turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, are you still with me here? Proverbs chapter 6, you're going to have to go old school. If you don't have a Bible, ask the person to your right or left so that you can look at it, or you can download one of these Bible apps real quick, and you can do that. Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to read in verse 16. Give me an amen when you get there. Proverbs 6, verse 16, it says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. We'll stop right there. Haughty eyes. Haughty is another form of arrogance. Arrogance is a form of pride. What does it say? God hates and detests pride. When we have a haughty eye, a prideful outlook, a prideful view, it says God hates it. Jump on over to chapter 16, still in Proverbs. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Give me amen. It says, the Lord detests all the proud of hearts. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. James chapter 4. It says in verse 6, James chapter 4 and verse 6, 
It says, but he gives more grace. That is why scripture says, he's quoting Proverbs 3, 34, God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. James 4, verse 6. So we have God hating. We have God detesting. We have God opposing what? Pride. How does God feel about pride? He hates it. He detests it. And it makes sense because it's the anti god Liness. It's completely opposite of what Christ embodies. Go with me to Matthew chapter 11. Brothers and sisters, are you still with me here this morning? Matthew chapter 11, go on down. Many of us are very familiar with this passage in verse 29. You see, we are being formed into the image of Jesus Christ. However, pride is the opposite of who Jesus is. And in Matthew chapter 11, in verse 29, we won't, we'll just take it up at this verse. He says, come all to me who are weary and burdened. And he says this in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, who I am in my heart, my nature, my character is gentle and humble. And so we have pride in our lives that is actually evacuating, that's pushing out and crowding out God in us. It's the opposite of what God is trying to do in our lives. And so this should be obvious by now how pride prevents us from becoming who we were created to be. Because if sin hardens the heart and pride is at the center of sin, then that means what? It's hardening our heart, preventing us from becoming who we were created to be. Pride, it refuses to listen. Pride, resists change. Pride impedes God from working in and on us. Pride prevents us from doing our part in becoming like Christ. You know, God initiates this transformation process. However, we have a role, and we've seen that now. God is always doing something, putting us in situations so that we can be transformed, but he calls us to this divine and mysterious partnership to do our parts. However, pride will stop and impede and block and put a halt to this progress. So then what should we do? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to recognize the pride in our lives. We need to recognize the pride in our lives. We can't do anything with this pride until we first recognize that it's there. And so many of us have been, or every single one of us has been to the doctor. Maybe you haven't been to the doctor in a long time and you need to go to the doctor, okay? But every single one of us, we go and get an exam. And uh, when you go to exam, what happens? They go, they check you out. I just love that thing where they hit your knee and your knee goes up. I don't know what it is, but I always look forward to that part. I'm like, man, this is so crazy. I like to try to stop my knee from going. And he goes and who? And then they go and again. I'm like, man, this is just crazy. This is weird. I don't know why that keeps happening. Sorry, I'm just digressing. But I just trip off of that. And so we have to do a pride exam. We have to examine our pride, and that's where it should be in your notes right now on the app right there. You can look at it, and it'll go through this here. Let's have a pride checkup right now real quickly. Let's look at some of these symptoms. This isn't an exhaustive list, but let's look at some of the symptoms of pride in our lives. Church, are you with me? Okay, first up, if you've ever been called stubborn, if you've ever been called stubborn, you know, you don't listen 
You have to learn the hard way. You don't, you don't heed the warning signs. I'm still going to do it. Stubborn. Or the Bible likes to call that stiff-necked. Number two, you reject, disregard, or disagree with correction and advice in your life. Somebody sees something. They want to they encourage you. They want to maybe help you and correct you in a certain way in your life. And, or they're giving you advice. Hey, hey, I noticed this in your parenting or I noticed this in the way you go after relationships. So they're trying to get some advice or some correction and we either reject it, not going to listen, disregard it. Yeah, I heard it, but I'm not going to consider it. Or we just flat out disagree with it. Before we consider it, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, I'm not going to listen to them. We don't listen to instruction. This is a symptom of pride. Next up, third one, defensive. We're defensive. Never your fault. It's always their fault. Never your fault. It's their fault. And refusal to take responsibility. So what happens? Minimize your sins, your shortcomings, your flaws, and mistakes. Next one. You think you're the man or you think you're the woman. You know what I'm saying? There's this elevated self-thought or worth about you. You compare yourself and you think you're better than others. It might not be conscious, but it's subconscious. And so you look around and you elevate yourself quietly. Maybe sometimes it reveals itself in the way you talk to others or talk about others. Next one. The fifth one. You feel you deserve fill in the blank. You feel like you deserve, I'm entitled to what I want, when I want, and how I want it. I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. Number six, critical of others, especially leaders. You know, you're critical of your boss, and I don't know, I've never been anywhere where there weren't people critical of their boss. Everybody thinks they can do their boss's job better than their boss. But we can be critical of others. We can be critical of those in the church. We're critical of, of, of our small group leaders. We're critical of those in our group. We're critical. We're quick and consistent to find the faults in others. Hmm, yep. Uh, yeah, they got that. What's wrong with them? Yeah, that's, that's not godly. Yeah, now they're weak in this area. Quick and consistent to find the flaws and faults in others. Next one. You struggle with or you don't apologize. Struggle with or don't apologize. Pretty self-explanatory. Number eight, always right or you always know more or better. You have all the right answers. All the people, if everybody in the church or if society just listened to you, I got it all right. If everybody just, we would all be fine. Why don't they listen to me? Man, it would, the world would be better. We're the smartest person in the room. We walk in and, yep, uh, I got that, yep. Uh, man, if I was in charge. And we have other things. This consumed, maybe not even consumed, but an emphasis on our image and reputation. We're, we're, we're worried about it so much. Another thing that we can have, again, this is an exhaustive list, but we're overly independent. I won't ask for help. No, I know I need it, but that might show a chink in the armor. I, I can do this, and therefore actually suffering. Again, this isn't an exhaustive list, but these are the symptoms 
of a false sense of status or a false sense of entitlement. Oh, I forgot the biggest one. If you think none of these apply to you. If you're sitting here going, oh, yeah, yeah, that's you right there. If you're listening with your elbows instead of your ears, like, are you listening? Uh Uh-huh, that's for you right there. If that's what you're thinking, you're like, mm, yeah, that's so-and-so. Mm-hmm, I hope they're listening, Lord, please. If that's you right now, then guess what? There's an issue with pride. Because every single one of us struggles with this. I'm able to see this non-exhaustive list because these are every single thing that God has revealed in me. I'm like, man, I was even praying on the way over. I'm like, God, you keep... Oh my goodness, I thought I, I thought I grew in this area. I, 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 know I'm not, I know I'm not where I need to be when it comes to humble, but God, I'm still so far from the image and likeness of Christ. I struggle with every single one of these. And so if you and I are not becoming more like Christ, the issue is our pride. The issue is our pride. And so we need to first recognize pride. And again, I think that list is over in the, uh, in the app there. You go ahead and look in the menu and all that type of stuff, and it should be under messages. I think it says pride exam or something like that. And so the second thing we need to do is to take pride seriously. After we recognize it, we have to take it seriously. I want to read this quote by this man named William Law. It says, the truth is this, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Isn't that real? I mean, we can think of an imagery of a bottle of some sort, and and if you have this imagery, if you have this bottle and it's filled with gunk and it's old or whatever, you have to throw that out in order to get the pure, clean water in which you desire. But you can't pour that in because what it will get mixed up, and therefore what was pure either can't come in or it's now nullified. And so we have to take pride seriously. You know, I know for so long, I did not take pride seriously. And I saw it in the fellowship around me. We would laugh or minimize pride. Oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so, he's just prideful, you know. Or, yeah, you know me, I'm just, I'm just man, I'm stubborn like that. And we just minimize or laugh at it. But what other sins do we do that with? You know me, I'm just a liar, huh? you can't trust me. You know me, I always steal. Don't, don't leave your wallet around me. Like, what? no. We would never laugh or minimize it. We would think, man, I need to grow in this area. I need some accountability in this area. I need to repent in this area. However, when it comes to pride, yeah, yeah, it's a problem. But we all have it. What's that? That's pride right there, right? Don't want to take full responsibility. Defensive, defensive. No, it can't just be me. Everybody's looking at me. And so we need to understand the destruction that comes from pride. We need to understand God's view of pride. He detested, he hates it. He says, you know what? It will be punished. God takes pride very seriously. Why? Because it's, it's the anti of who he is. Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in hearts. And so we need to actually treat pride like what it is, and that's sin. We need to treat pride like it's sin because it is sin. In fact, it's at the core of all sin. We need to confess it, and we need to go ahead and repent of it. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you confessed being prideful? I'm sure, if you're like me, there were more, it's not even a comparison, 
more times in your life where people pointed out your pride more than you confessed your pride. You came in a situation, you know what, man, I'm just, man, I was just being prideful. That's far few in between than somebody else saying, hey, you know, I'm noticing that you're being prideful right here. What does that mean? We're not taking it seriously enough. We need to recognize it. We need to acknowledge it. Not, there's not a single soul who's immune from pride. Why? Because pride's at the core of every sin, and every single one of you, like me, are sinners. So hallelujah for God's grace, amen? But we need to make sure that we recognize it and we take it seriously. And the third thing we won't, we'll probably look at next week is we need to pursue humility. We need to pursue humility. You know what? That's for next week, so that gives you a little incentive to come next week. Amen? So here's what we're going to do here. Let's get real practical. We can have some practical action steps here for this week. First up, examine your pride this week. Go ahead. Use the little symptoms of pride. Add some more to the list. This was an exhaustive list. And so add some more to the list. Look over the symptoms of pride, but then honestly see what and how pride is in your life currently. Don't just look and go, yeah, yeah. No, look and see, okay, what is it doing? How's it affecting my walk with God? How's it affecting my relationships? The way I am with my roommates, the way I am with my siblings, the way I am with the brothers and sisters in the church, the way I am with my parents, the way I am with my kids, the way I am with my spouse. And how is it preventing me from becoming more like Christ? Again, we have to recognize it. So let's examine our pride this week. And then number two, pray that God will help reveal the pride to you and also pray to become humble. I know I ask God, God, please help me to see this pride in me. And he will. And maybe it'll come in the form of your spouse, your kid, or someone else. But he'll answer that prayer. And with that same prayer in the same sentence, ask to be humble. Don't ask God to humble you because he'll do that as well. I, stop, I avoid that prayer like the plague. I don't, I don't ask that at all. I say, God, oh, no, God, you know what I'm asking? I'm asking you to help me to choose humility. I'm not asking you to humble me. Just want to make sure that's clear. And so we need to go ahead and examine this week. You say, oh, I don't need to, Marcel. Okay, what's at the core of that? I know I've been examined. I was on the way here, and God was just convicting me. I'm like, oh, man, God, I'm about to preach this. And why are you doing this right now to me? But it was good because now he's forming me into the likeness of Christ. That pride has to evacuate for Christ to fill me up. And so I want to call you and urge you and encourage you this week. Examine your pride and then pray to see it and pray to become humble. Right now we're going to take the emblems that represent Jesus' blood and his body that was broken and sacrificed on the cross for our salvation. This is what we call communion. And so we're going to take this as we remember Christ, who is the ultimate example of humility. The ultimate example of letting any pride and ego in his life fester and emptying himself so that, again, he could not only represent the image of God, but show us, us how to follow the ways of God. In Philippians chapter 2, we're going to go and turn there. Philippians chapter 2, we looked at this passage last week and we saw how Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice to become a human being, but then to also uh, uh, to become a servant and then also to die upon the cross, which was the death for criminals. And so in Philippians chapter 2, as we take communion, 
we see again the example and the glory of our Lord Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 